0: Hey, what's going on? This is Josh. Um, In today's episode, I got into a great conversation with a good friend of mine who has an incredibly inspirational story. We ended up talking for a little over an hour, so I decided to cut this episode into two parts. Now, we were rolling from one topic directly into the next, so the ending of this kind of feels a little bit abrupt, but that's because there's just really nowhere convenient for me to cut this. Uh, I tried to get to the very end of a story, but we ended up rolling directly into the next topic very quickly, so just be aware of that, and in the next episode, we're going to pick up exactly where this left off. All right, take care.
1: Welcome to the Business Gorillas Podcast, where the biggest, baddest, and most fearless business owners pull the curtains back and reveal their most tightly guarded secrets and strategies with your host serial serial entrepreneur entrepreneur and marketing marketing visionary visionary, josh Josh Rosenberg. rosenberg buckle up it's time to get started
0: what's going on today i've got a very special guest that's going to be unlike anybody that i've interviewed before um as you're going to see she has come from a real big serious deep dark past has gone through the trenches like very few people and has come out the other end a totally changed person. Her life, her experiences, her history have, uh, I'm going to just say has probably left some scars that are going to be very hard for other people to relate to. But as a copywriter, she uses this as fuel to to tap into the emotional side of storytelling in a way that very few people will ever be able to do. So Pauline uh, Longdon is an author, professional copywriter, marketing strategist. She specializes in emotional direct response and cognizant copy. Pauline's superpower is infusing her copy with empathy and authenticity. As a copywriter, she's been trained by a who's who of the copywriting world. And she's currently one of Paris Lampropoulos' coveted copy club, Cubs. And in fact, she's the first Australian woman that he's trained. She has a background as a registered nurse and an army major. This gave her a real rich source of life experiences. She uses these experiences to keep her finger on the pulse of humanity, and that's what gives her and her copy uh, the such unique depth and richness. Pauline had to recreate herself after depression derailed her promising military career. On her discharge day, her brain was so fried that she could not even read or write. She was, in fact, functionally illiterate, but now she's a copywriter, a mentor, and a speaker, and Inspir- someone that's just very inspirational, as I'm sure you're going to find out in a moment. So Aline, thank you very much for being here.
2: Oh, thank you. Great intro as well. <laughs> Make me sound very interesting.
0: <laughs> of course, of course, you are interesting. Um, and with that, I mean, we're going to uh, have time to really jump into your story. But the first thing I always like to, to start with is uh, just tell me about your business. What, what is your business? Who is it for? And how does it serve the world?
2: Yeah, well, um, I'm a copywriter, but I'm also, uh, I'm a copywriter now, but I really started out as a, as a marketer. Um, I had a business at the time, which we can go into in a moment, but um, I, I was doing well with the marketing, but I just couldn't find anyone to write copy for me. And um, some one day, someone just issued a dare to me and said, if you think you can write better, then why don't you? And I went, well, I can't write any worse than this. So I gave it a go. And uh, the next thing, people started to notice my my business is copywriting they went who's writing your copy and I went I am so one thing really led to the other and I I just followed you know I I jumped down the rabbit hole of marketing and copywriting and I I just really found a place where I I just love it I I just um, I love the power of words and um, I've got kind of like a metaphysical background so I know that words can be like a weapon or a wand you can use use them for good and evil so um someone just coined the term one day oh you're like a copy alchemist i went, hang on a sec that's a really great name so at the start the the when i started copywriting everyone was like the the something or other. they all had a title like mr money fingers and you know um all these other kind of names and so I just had the business name, The Copy Alchemist. And, but nowadays, I'm not na- named that. I'm just using my name, which has got more currency than you know the the cute little name. But yeah, so what, what does my business do? Yeah, I'm a copywriter and marketer. Um, I write words for people where they need to, to sell. Um, and I, I'm in a position now that I only do it for people who I resonate with. I, I'm not chasing jobs. I'm not chasing money. Um, basically I'm at at the level that there's a really cool fit or there's not and that's it and and then I help people scale their businesses up and something I did in the last year that um, kind of surprised me is I became a a fractional CMO for a company down here in Australia so um, I've helped them with their marketing and take a profit share so that's very exciting and I know moving forward I'm going to be looking for more opportunities like that because it goes back to my marketing roots and yeah, it just really fulfills me doing those kind of roles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's fantastic. And as you know, uh, I know, I don't have to tell you this a huge part of copywriting and what separates it from other styles of marketing, especially when you're talking about direct response writing where there's a lot of words, you know, it's, it's not, we're, we're not writing like a one sheet flyer here where you just kind of have to talk about brass tacks and stuff. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of times we're telling these very intricate, in-depth, emotionally driven stories. And I find that mm-hmm. people that have had real struggles in their life are able to, to talk about uh, struggles in their writing in a way that just comes off much more authentic. Because you know when you're down and you feel like you've been just beaten up, you know what that feels like. You know what that smells like. You know what that tastes like. You can remember... Mm-hmm you know, there being a a metallic taste in your mouth, maybe, or just something smelled off. Like, you know, maybe no matter how much deodorant you use that day, your body was still excreting some sort of body odor that just, it it comes from being in a really low place. And if you've never been in that place before, personally, you can't bring that Mm. out in your writing. And that's the level of of depth that a lot of times is required to really sell a product or service and make the reader feel a deep connection
2: to it. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I totally agree with that. I, I, I think there's a lot of people that if they haven't gone through that level of pain or they aren't even in touch with their own emotions, how can they choreograph the the emotions that they're going to bring out in the copy for the person that's reading it? If, if, they've not, if they're not in, in touch with their own emotions, they just can't. There's no way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And something you said was um, you started off with um, the name, The Copy Alchemist. And one of the very first things that I tell students of mine that I train and, and mentor is, it's very important for you to come up with a USP for yourself, a unique selling proposition. In the real mm-hmm. world, in the corporate world, a copywriter is a $50,000, $60,000 a year commodity salaried employee. You're working for an ad agency, you're on a team of five other people, you're creating a tagline that your manager is then going to rip up and rewrite anyway. Mm -hmm. You bring very little value, whereas what we do is much more in depth. It's much larger. There's a bigger scope. You have much more responsibilities. And so while you and I have the same understanding of copywriter in the real world, outside of us, outside of what we do, when you say that people assume you mean the $60,000 a year employee. And so they devalue you because that's the level that you've told them that you're at. And they're not, Mm -hmm. it's not an insulting thing. It's just, that's what they're familiar with. And so to get around this, you give yourself a USP that lets the world know that you are not that commodity employee for myself. Mm. I told, I tell people that I'm a persuasion engineer. I blueprint and construct very dynamic and robust profit centers, copywriting is one of the tools that i use to accomplish this so right away i changed the conversation that i'm having with the potential client and so the name the copy alchemist does that in a very unique way because you hear the word alchemy and that's comes from uh people that are very much into spirituality into um maybe looking into the stars maybe have um a different sense of imagination and believing that there's something bigger out there or there's something magical happening in the world that you know maybe we just haven't explained yet and so it tells certain people Pauline is not the person that I'm gonna mesh well with but it tells other people oh her and I are on the exact same wavelength she's probably the person that can will get me and get my story So that mm. name probably served you a lot better purpose than you even realized it did and now, you don't yeah, need that anymore yeah. because as you said your name has speaks even louder but that doesn't happen overnight that takes time
2: oh absolutely and and the other thing i like about the alchemy is um even if you aren't into metaphysics, in a metaphysic spirituality and that people know that alchemy is about turning lead into gold so whether that's the lead in your pencil the words you write into gold and money um it, it's there is some kind of magical transformation in some way so it, it what it did resonate with me it kind of um, gives a, an implied promise of of riches so I kind of like that taking the ordinary into something that's ex- extraordinary and that transformation and getting it out there like your message or whatever is, is out there so yeah I kind of like it but yeah and you're right it is an evolution isn't it you don't just wake up one day and go, oh, I think I'll be the copy alchemist. And I certainly wasn't born as that. I mean, talk to me maybe 10 years ago and say that I was going to be a professional writer. I would have just laughed at you. There's no way. Like um, the day I left the army, I actually um couldn't read or write. As you said, um, I was fun- what I call functionally illiterate. I um, My brain was so fried, I couldn't read or write. I signed my discharge papers with a, a shaky X. That was it. And then like nowadays I get paid to read and write. It's, it's almost ridiculous, but it, that didn't happen by accident either. No, of
0: course, of course. Um, and I'm very interested in diving into that in a moment. Um, but what I wanted to know first was, is this your very first entrepreneurial venture? Your first time going out there and deciding that you wanted to see if you could make it work on your own or had you tried this oh. previously?
2: Yeah, no, definitely not. Not my first business. Um, My first business was um, when I got out of the military and um, we can go into the story in a moment, but um, yeah, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a a registered nurse, like I was a a nursing major in the the Australian army and they basically said that I'd never nurse again. So I, I foolishly and maybe quite fortunately believed them. So I left and I went, holy crap, what do I do for a living? I, I, don't, I can't be a nurse. I don't know how to get a job. But I've been in the military for like 14 years since I was young. And so I, I started my first business at about, I think, the age of 36, which sounds late in life, but it's not really because I've just been in the army since I was fairly young. And so I, um, I just lazily bought a, a license for a, a company, kind of like a franchise, but not with as much support. And um, I gave that a go. And that was in like business services and and things like that. No experience. So guess what happened? It failed, like, because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, um, I followed that, you know, uh, build it and they'll, they'll come kind of um, thing. And I built it and no one came. So it failed. And so then after that, um, I decided to do another um, venture that was more in alignment with my healing process with Um, overcoming major depression and getting my life back on track and so again it was um, I I started I didn't really know what I was doing got it up to a really good level Um, I was a very popular teacher people were traveling from overseas to Australia to be taught by me back in the days before zoom um, there was Skype so I was doing Skype sessions and phone calls all around the world to do like therapy on people and that was really successful and um and then I couldn't find someone to help me scale it up. So that's where I had to basically um, learn how to be a marketer and copywriter. And you know what? That was a that was a game changer. Finding those skills actually helped me to scale up that business. But then something weird happened. I didn't want to do that anymore. I actually really liked the creative world that I was in and I love marketing, I love human psychology. I, I love working how to sell people things but i also like to do it ethically just a a disclaimer there yeah yeah i mean i'll
0: never ever ever talk about selling somebody something for the sake of making a dollar exactly yeah i'm a strong believer that if i'm going to sell you something i want to make sure that it it, it's for your own betterment it leaves you all better than i you know that i found you um yeah you know so there's that's one of the the ethical questions that a lot of people that are not in the world of sales or marketing always have for me, and I'm sure for you too.
2: And mm-hmm. I was like,
0: well, yeah, I mean, I could take my writing skills and I could probably figure out how to sell heroin to children if I really wanted to, but I'm not about to fucking do that, you know?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. So, I know um, you just m- mentioned that you'll you were told you would never be a professional nurse again, but having that background and that skill set. Especially coming from the mm-hmm. military, where everything is very organized and compartmentalized, and everything goes in a very structured, step-by-step sort of uh, regimented pattern. Has that skill set helped you with being able to start and run your your own business?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think um being a well, kind of like a solopreneur or whatever working for yourself you have to have some kind of business especially if you want to get anywhere if you want to you know scale it up to any any significant amount you have to be a self-starter you have to have some kind of discipline there you have to you know are there days that I get up out of bed and I don't want to write or if I don't want to you know um, because I do coaching and and that kind of stuff um, or get on a zoom call with a client there are days that I don't want to do any of that, but are there days that I do that when I don't want to? Absolutely. But yeah, it's just like snapping yourself out of it. I mean, when I was in the military, no one wants to do a great big, like, you know, root march where your feet are bleeding and, you know, you just feel like you're going to fall over and die, but somehow you get to the end goal. So um, I think that discipline and just um, resilience has given me the, the edge to do things that other people won't do for example like oh before corona shut down the world and i, I was traveling to america it's you know quite a few times a year i do things and i connect with people that and i'm in australia I, I would connect with people that people in the same freaking city haven't connected with they're too lazy you know they they won't go out of their own way for their own success it's so frustrating but it's frustrating but at, at the same time it's good for me because it just shows that I'll go the extra mile so I think that training helped me with my attitude but as for nursing and being in the military I think it's really helped me to um, know how to read people as well you know a nurse can preempt a lot of needs of their patients like you don't wait for someone to have a cardiac arrest in their bed before you call the doctor (laughs) which you know um, there's always there's always like tells that something's going to happen, which always would frustrate the doctors. They come in and you'd say, Oh, that patient, they're not very good. They're, I think they're going to arrest any moment now. And they go, well, call me when they do, because I don't see any signs that they're, they're going to. So then they no sooner walk out of the ward and you would just like, you didn't even have to ring them. They were like in earshot. Yeah. Oh, doctor, that would be now. and We'd call in the crash cart and, you know, revive the patient. But I think those skills as a nurse have just made me more empathetic as well. The, you know, I think everything that we've done in, in our life up until now, Josh, is, is valid if you know how to use it and package sure. it up. Sure, yeah.
0: and one of the things that separates people that are very successful from those that aren't is a single word, accountability. I mean, yeah. this is the main reason why uh, most personal trainers, the clients that they train are already in good shape. They don't need that personal trainer to show them how to use the machine. They know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's having, being accountable to showing up at a specific time and place and staying at that gym for an hour or so. And Mm -hmm. when you're doing your planks and whatnot, that trainer is going to force you to stay there for the full minute or two minutes. Whereas if you're on your own, you could cheat. So you're, you're being held accountable to that. This is also the reason that nobody flosses their teeth. You know, Mm -hmm. you might start, you (laughs) might go to the dentist for your cleaning and come back and he's told, you know, the dentist told you you need to floss every day and you do for the first two days and then you never do it again. It's for that. And people, I know a lot of people that have military backgrounds, it's now part of your DNA that you're going to be accountable to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when, you know, I wake up and there's days where I don't feel like working, as I'm sure you don't, if I have, calls scheduled. I'm accountable to whoever's on the other end of that call, that client or whoever that is. So I'm going to take that call. But what I noticed for myself, and I don't know if you're the same way is I might have been writing my ass off for the past day, two days, three days. And my brain is just fried. And I know that if I push myself and I try to keep writing, I'll sit there for hours and I will get one sentence in and I'll have to redo it the next day. So what I allow myself is a sick day. And I say, I came down with a case of the fuckets, and I will do <laughs> literally anything else. Sometimes I just won't work at all. I'll take my calls yep. if I have any, and then I'll just go out and run some errands yep. or something else because it serves everything better to give myself that day off and let my brain mm-hmm. rest and recover and then come back. And yeah. I, see, I see too many people, especially younger writers that will push through and they end up producing inferior quality work as a result
2: oh I agree you um definitely um that's something that I've learned along the way Josh I, I love that you bring it up is that how to work with your brain instead of it against it and don't force it to do shit that it doesn't want to do like because when you force it to do shit it does shit you know it yeah. like as you said you know you could sit there for hours and and produce one sentence but I guarantee you will have to rewrite that so why even bother and you know, and you know what, the worst thing that I see in the industry is that people hand that copy to clients, and then the clients are going, Oh, wow, copywriters suck. And it's like, no, yeah. that copywriter sucks. They've got no work ethic, and now they're giving us all a bad name. So and so then usually what happens to the poor client is so they have to pay for copy twice. And I I detest that.
0: Yeah, because what regardless of whatever the two price points are, the previous copywriter. And you, whatever mm-hmm. your, your price point disparity is, they've already left a bad taste on clients now. So now you have to do damage control.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, it's, yeah. it's like if um you hired a contractor to do work on your house and they do a lousy job and mm-hmm. it needs to be done again. Well, yeah, you don't want to have to pay full price plus, you know, probably a higher rate because somebody knew has mm. to come in and undo what the previous person did and then do it right, which is going to cost more. Yeah. So you're going to try and justify hiring someone to do it for less. And again, it just, it doesn't work. So you're, you're hundred percent right with that. Um, mm. <laughs> as a solopreneur, we have to wear a whole lot of hats in our business and we have to do mm. a lot of stuff that may not be part of our, our direct skill set. Uh, With that, is there any, like, one thing that you think that you do for your own business that moves the needle more than anything else?
2: Um, I think, um, (laughs) I guess, with all all the things that I do, um, one of the things that moves the needle for my own business is to get out of my own way and get people to do what I'm not good at. Like, my partner is very good at the financial side, the back ends, the systems and that. Um, get someone that basically allows me to stay in in not my lane so to speak but in that creative zone Um, coming in and out of the creative zone can be very um, tiresome and 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 it will like fry your brain a little bit faster but if I can just stay in that a little bit longer um, and but also the way that I work with my brain I think moves the needle a lot because I can be more productive by I actually, um, you know, people talk about the Pomodoro method, you know, like working for 33 minutes and all that mm, sort of stuff. Yeah. I kind of, do, I kind of do that, but I don't do the 33 minutes because I, I, um, I had a f- friend who's like a brain hacker. And he said that, um, he asked me one day, he said, how long are your copy sessions that you write for? And I went 50 minutes. And he went, 50 minutes, that's good. And I went, oh, really? He goes, yeah, um, that Pomodoro method, it, it takes people from a standing start to like when they sit down and finally get into the creative zone it's like between 23 and 25 minutes and I went oh that's why when you get to 33 minutes you feel like you're just hitting creative stride and so nowadays I do like what I call time optimization if I'm doing editing I, I can do 33 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever but for creative writing it's always 50 minutes like it's never less than 50 minutes because by the time you get to 33 minutes and you're in your stride you can just go that little extra and you, you've got like that quality brain juice just coming out onto the page it is like magic oh absolutely
0: but, and you get to a point yeah. where you're almost frustrated that your fingers can't type as fast as your brain is thinking
2: <laughs> yeah exactly I, uh, for <laughs> i'm years, the world's I... typist Uh,
0: For years, I had hired uh, an assistant. He used to come over to my apartment every single day for like five or six hours. And the the kid was, um, he he was a spelling bee champion when he was throughout school. He was a creative writing major uh, in college and he could type faster than you could talk. He was like a court stenographer. And so I ended up producing the best copy of my entire life by having him. And the way that we would work is I would just start talking and mm-hmm. he would start typing and at some point i would say okay read it back to me with inflection and then he would read it back how i would kind of how i'd be hearing it in my head and yeah i could tell him okay we gotta change this to that and blah 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 and we can make all the edits and that made such a world of difference
2: doesn't it oh wow that's yeah, amazing it was the
0: best hire i ever made there was that and then i also learned that um creatively i have my some of my biggest, my best inspirations, and um, at least when I'm uh, sort of brainstorming ideas late at night. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do my technical writing, my editing during the day when I can, my brain is much more clear. But after I'm yeah. already a little bit tired, if I've had a drink or something, and, and now my I'm, I'm no longer thinking analytically, and now I'm just sort of using my imagination because my brain is in that sort of weird shutdown-ish stage. Mm-hmm. I come up with so much better ideas that that's where I usually like to do all my brainstorming. And then I'll just uh, I'll just write out rough notes or I'll speak into my phone and I'll just voice memo a bunch of ideas. And then I can come back to it in the morning and actually refine it. And the quality of work is vastly mm-hmm.
2: better. See, that's why um, you don't get copywriters and, you know, what we were talking about, like your 60k copywriters, well, they, they're the copywriters that are, are like put into a birdcage and, you know, it's between this hour and this hour, you're a copywriter for us and that's it. But if you paid someone like us or expected us to do that kind of thing, it would kill us because what do I do with the ideas that I think about? Like just before I go to bed? And as you said, you know, like I've, I've had a, had a rum or something. I'm sitting there relaxing on a Friday night or a Saturday night. If I think about your business and I come up with a great world's greatest hook, do I not give it to you? Cause I'm not technically on the clock. So that's why I say to business owners, do not lock up you, your copywriters, let them work the way they need to work. Because like, you know, what you were just saying then is, you know, you're, you, conscious brain is shut down it's out of the way that's the thing that judges us all the way through the day that's the one that the the agency copyright is battling with it's like is this a good idea conscious brain goes no unconscious brain goes yeah yeah that's a good idea conscious brain goes no fuck it that's a stupid idea and then it never gets anywhere else you and i sit there late at night and it's like just chilling out oh should go to bed soon and then the next thing it's like conscious brain tired let's go to bed unconscious brain goes oh i just had this idea write yeah. it down and yeah you could how, be watching
0: a, you could be watching a movie or a tv show and something silly could happen and yeah. some part of your brain just makes a loose connection between what you just saw maybe there yeah. was you know let's just say there was a scene that took place at a halloween party and everyone's dressed up in a costume and somebody walks in the background dressed up as a pirate. And for some reason you're like, pirate, oh my God, that would be the perfect hook to use for this thing. And now your yep. brain goes down this rabbit hole of how you're going to tie the story of these swashbucklers, buck, uh, swashbucklers sailing the seven seas and yeah. you know, yeah. bringing coconuts from Thailand back to America to introduce the first you know Americans to coconuts for the first time, which would be some historically uh, factual stuff which actually they mm-hmm. did that during uh, World War I. They, there was these um, uh, boats called the uh, a Mound Fleet, and they were bringing coconuts, not from Thailand, from... Um, fuck, I forgot where. I want to say from Britain, back or not Britain. Um, I forgot exactly from which country, but there were these small fleets of these tiny ships, and they were just bringing coconuts to the United States. And the German army had all their U-boats, their the submarines, and they didn't take any notice of them because these boats were so small and they had no armaments. There was nothing of value on board. It, didn't like ha- it wasn't like they had gold or anything. They're literally just coconuts. Well, what they didn't realize was that these boats, they were actually uh, not just bringing the coconuts to the United States. They were sort of setting markers and telling the U.S. generals where the U-boats were located <laughs> so that the, the Navy fleet could avoid getting blown up by them. And wow. when they brought the uh, coconuts <laughs> there, as I mentioned, they were called the uh, mound fleet. Well, there was a candy bar. I don't know if you have it in Australia called mounds, and there's one called almond joy, which is the same thing. It's just dark chocolate with uh, yep. coconuts, and uh, almond joys mm-hmm. obviously have almonds. Well, that's where they got the name from. From that's the, crazy. this, right. So that's the kind <laughs> of weird yeah. rabbit hole that people like us will go down late at night. Just because our brain is at a point where it can make these loose connections and you'll go on Wikipedia or YouTube and you'll find some videos for your research that if you're sitting there, you know, at 11 in the morning on a Tuesday, you're never going to think of this. It will never come to you.
2: Exactly. Exactly right. So, yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, So uh, not to get completely off course, but um, we've talked about a bit about how you have a pretty scarring past would you mind like just telling your story a little bit and where you were and what how you got to where you are now
2: yeah i mean it's it's nothing i'm immensely proud of but it's it's just something it's part of my story and I'm, i'm i like to keep it raw and real because you know that's where people need to go and and realize that you know there are a lot of people that struggle and go to the depths of despair well i mean I was in the army for about like just short of 14 years. And in that time, I, I rose up to the rank of major and I was heading for to be like a full Colonel. And my, my career was basically mapped out. And then in one year, I was sent on two operations overseas. I, I didn't go to Iraq or Afghanistan. Afghanistan was um, after my time in Iraq was kind of just ha- flaring up for the second time, just as I was leaving the military. But I, I went to two back-to-back, big, very stressful deployments. And um, because I was a, a critical care nurse in, in the military, I had a set of skills that basically they needed all the time. And so rather than come home from one operation and have a rest, they sent me on two back-to-back ones. And some other things happened whilst I was over there um, on the operation. And basically, I ended up with major depression. And so as much as I tried to stay in the military and get better and want to be there, something happened that basically they gave me too much medication, <laughs> nearly killed me. Um, and I just, and then they covered it up and I just went, holy shit, you don't care about me. I'm just a number. So um, although I, I do want to die, I don't want to die like that. Cause it was, um, they, they gave me a, a condition called serotonin syndrome which is, I, I used to joke, and I said, it's almost like I've got more serotonin in my blood than blood, so there's something going on here. They wouldn't believe me until I, you know, nearly died. Anyway, so I, I just then, at that moment, just went, you know, fuck this, I'm out of here. I'm, so, so they I'm, said I'm to you, to-
0: a, a trained career nurse, you don't know about your own body
2: yeah pretty much and it's like wow and anyway and then they were going to um do that um electroconvulsive therapy on me and I just went no we're not doing that I do not consent and then it's like too bad you're in the army and I went no I'm not doing that I'm taking discharge and you know what Josh I'm glad I did because that stuff just really you know fucks with your brain bad so um I took discharge and then um but somewhere towards the end of my discharge, they said, oh, by the way, you're never going to nurse again. And I just went, well, shit, I've been a nurse since I was like in my teenage years. Like at that stage, I'd been like a nurse for 20 years. I'd been in the army for like 14 years. It's like they just totally took everything away from me. And so the day that I was discharged, I, could, I realized I couldn't read or write. So I just went, you know, stuff it. I'm a total oxygen thief here. The world would be much better without me. So I decided that day that I would just drive into a tree. And a couple of months earlier, I, I had like a, that contingency just in case. I, I planned the tree, planned how fast I'd have to drive at it. Because if you're going to do something, do it right. And being a nurse, I knew that basically <laughs> if you stuff it up, you're going to be a vegetable or you're going to be reminded of the, of the poor choice that you made for the rest of your life. So it's so either you're all in or you're all out. So that day I, I, I um, drove out of the army barracks and started to drive towards where that tree was. And then just as I went around the corner of where it was, I started to speed up as, as I'd planned. And um, as I'm driving towards a tree, the weirdest thing happens and um, I'm, I'm moments away and you know, taking the last breath. And the next thing, this, I don't know how it happened, what it was, but just this voice screamed in my head, stop the fucking car it's like really urgent. And then I just went, what the hell? I just like snapped out of my death trance and just like slammed on the brakes and stopped just in time. Thankfully. Well, not thankfully on the day I was so freaking angry. I wanted to do it. I didn't want to be here anymore, but um, yeah. So basically I really wanted to kill myself, couldn't kill myself. And then the, the voice in my said, my, my voice, uh, sorry, the voice in my head, pretty much said you know um you know you're gonna fuck that up you, you if you're a fuck up at life why do you think that you would be good at death you're gonna fuck that up too and i just went you know Jesus. you're so freaking right so, so it wasn't anyway
0: like a it wasn't even like a guardian angel handing you a gift it was almost like one final fuck you to yourself almost
2: it really was and it, oh. even like now nowadays i just go you know what it, it was probably my perfectionism and that, you know, that negative self-talk that you give yourself when you're in the depths of depression, but sucked into depression, it actually saved my fucking life. So, you know, <laughs> I, I laugh at it now. I obviously couldn't laugh at it at the time, but um, yeah, so that basically kept me on the planet. And then I went, all right, so if I'm meant to be here, what the fuck, you know? So then it's like, well, and that's what got me into business. It's like, you don't want to go and work for other people. It's going to be soul destroying. You've been doing that. Go and get yourself a business and then failed at that. Go and get yourself a business. Keep keep, keep searching until you find what it is. But then obviously, like I had a really shit mindset and I didn't want to be here and I, I just couldn't engage in life. But so really, the I think, you know, when you talk, uh, you said to me before, what are the biggest need, needle changes or needle movers? Mindset. Mm. Getting my mindset back on track was the thing, Josh, that has got me further in life. And it's giving me that grit and determination that, you know, I have to want it more than anyone else wants it for me. Otherwise it just doesn't happen.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, this is um, a lot of what happens with people that are dealing with addiction. You know, nobody will ever get clean and sober who still enjoys Drinking or mm-hmm. doing drugs or whatever their vice is, if they still have yeah. fun doing it, you're not going to stop them interventions mm-hmm. are not going to work the 12 steps not going to work locking them away and an inpatient thing is not going to work because the second they get out, they're going to want to go back they have to be at a point where they want to
1: change. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to the, the Business Guerrillas Podcast. If you're a highly successful entrepreneur and want to be a guest, go to businessgorillazpodcast.com and fill out the form. Remember to share us on social media. Click the subscribe button. Leave us a five-star rating and review if you got anything out of the show. Feel free to connect with us on social media. If you're looking to connect with world-class top marketers and some of the most experienced fractional chief marketing officers in the world today, head on over to VeryGoodMarketingConsultants.com. On behalf of your host, Josh Rosenberg, thank you for listening to the Business Gorillas Podcast.